You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew Podcast. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are starting our latest channel on the magicians. Yay! <laughs> now, if you're not aware of the magicians, well, I guess you are because you're listening, but uh, <laughs> we're on to season two. And if you haven't seen all of season one, it's available on Netflix so you can binge watch it like we've been doing. Yes, please go do that first and then come back here because we are going to review all of the information from season one, what we know about the magicians thus far, including book knowledge, and then we're going to get into prepping for season two. So we call this episode a season two prequel, Break Bills 101. Now, I've always been a fan of magic ever since I was young and I think until the day I die. And it's got to be because real life can be very mundane we all have, I guess, abilities, but we have to work hard at getting good at something. So we have skills. Mm -hmm. But the thought of having magic, the thought of being able to manipulate nature or manipulate objects never gets old. I think there's also that feeling that there's something bigger and better out there than just your mundane, ordinary life. And that's what Quentin is going through much of episode one in season one. He can't cope with the fact that this is all there is. And unlike his friends, his classmates, he never let go of his childish fantasies. He's obsessed with this book series, Fillory and Further, and the idea that there is this better place out there and there just has to be more than this life. And it really depresses him every time he has to go back to the regular world. And that's pretty much where our story begins. Just as a quick overview of the premise... Quentin Coldwater enrolls at Breakbills College for magical pedagogy to be trained as a magician, where he discovers that the magical world from his favorite childhood books is real and poses a danger to humanity. Meanwhile, the life of his childhood friend Julia is derailed when she is denied entry, and she searches for magic elsewhere. So as an aside, I feel as though season one sort of follows two parallel stories, and that is of Quentin at Break Bills and introducing us to that world, mm -hmm. as well as Julia, who's in the outside world searching for magic anywhere else. She winds up with this group of hedge witches, and we see it through her point of view. It's not till the very end of the season that they reunite, and the story kind of comes together at Fillory. This universe is kind of a combination of Harry Potter <laughs> and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and little snippets of your other favorite childhood <laughs> books even though uh, Harry Potter was after our childhood, but we did enjoy that. <laughs> and what's great about this is just like our Game of Thrones podcast is that you, Christina, have read the books and I myself have not, which is normally the case because I only read comics, really. But <laughs> uh, So you're going to have a more solid knowledge of the things that you miss on TV because, of course, time constraint, they can't go into every detail like they can in a book. Sure. And I'm really excited to get the TV side and the book side and really uh, combine them. Yeah, it's been a little while since I've read them, so I'm not as fresh on it. But I do remember the information definitely from the first book, which is roughly what the first season is based off of. 
And hopefully I'll have time to go back and listen to book two soon. I'm assuming season two is going to follow book two. We're also going to talk here about an article that I found, The 10 Biggest Changes, Book to Screen. And we will discuss some of those things that have been oh, altered and why. But going back to what you said, the New York Times agrees. They call this a dark Harry Potter, if you will. And I see some of those elements. We'll talk about that as we go through. But I think they have managed to do something very different here when we were talking about it. We said that when you open up, it's similar in the sense that you have this kid, Quentin. He's living in the real world, which sucks, much like Harry yeah. Potter's living in the real world. That sucks. And then he's saved when he finds out there's magic, there's something else, almost a parallel universe in this mm-hmm. same world. There's break bills and all the magicians that know that. And even though they're here, they kind of have their own thing going on. Yeah. And Quentin, other similar factors, he is kind of thrusted into this world and he's not the most confident wizard or mm-hmm. magician, <laughs> excuse me. And Confident or confident. Yes. And he struggles with his confidence, and he always has to be the one until the end of season one. But he kind of has to be the one to do it. He's the chosen one, for lack of a better word, just like Harry Potter. Yes, that's one of the biggest divergences from book to TV, is that TV does portray him as something of a special person, the chosen one, the book really paints him as just an average kid. Okay. He's not spectacular in any sense with his magic, which they kind of were going for with Harry Potter too. Mm -hmm. There are other people that are better than him, other wizards that are stronger. He just happens to be the one who is involved. And they do say it towards the end of the series here with Quentin. You're just the tomato that keeps growing back. 40 times you In come the back yard. to die. <laughs> it's not that you're the special tomato. You're just the one that keeps showing up. And mm-hmm. that's what makes you special. So I love that they finally kind of tied that back in. And all these kids, if you look at, and we'll get into deeper, there's so many, well, there's some websites out there that are amazing yes. for the magicians. It's visually amazing and compelling. They have games. We will go deeper into that. But one thing that it does show is that this group besides Penny, have a good education and they're 4.0 students. And some go to Prince. They went to Princeton for undergrad. Another went to Oxford, I believe. Like crazy talented people mentally. Yeah, it's very cool. They're going to go to <clears throat> Yale. They show that Breakbills has been following them since they were children. They have notes on them. They have an idea of where all the magicians in the world are and if they are supposed to belong here. But the entrance exam is kind of a double check just to make sure. So when it comes time, they follow them, they round them up and get them there. And then if they perform and show the aptitude, then they can come in. But you're absolutely right. We see, again, much like Harry Potter, Quentin is nothing without the help of his friends, some of which seem vastly more talented than him, smarter in certain ways. It requires all of them together. Now, what I like about this story is where it diverges. It's not just the regular world with the magicians living alongside of it. Then you actually have this third location, which is the incredibly, completely magical world of Fillory. You get introduced to the concept of that a lot sooner in the show than in the books. We don't get that till much later. You also get some good visuals of it at the end of season one. And I will just tell you as a tiny spoiler, if you've read anything about this out there, you will know season two will be a lot more of that. A lot more magic? A lot more fillery, specifically. Fillery me up. 
let's go back into some of our stats first before we take a deep dive. This was created by Sierra Gamble and John McNamara, produced by Mitch Engel. There's a bunch of executive producers, Mike Cahill, Michael London, Scott Smith. It premiered on Sci-Fi December of 2015 as a special preview. Then you had 13 episodes in season one, which we will briefly discuss later on. This is all based, of course, on the novels by Lev Grossman, and we will talk about that. It was three books. And season two will premiere on Wednesday, January 25th at 9 p.m. I can't wait. That most likely will mean that we will watch the show, Mm -hmm. record it, and do the editing. We'll be out by Friday night. Friday night, Saturday at the latest. But we're going to shoot for Friday, definitely. This is a different structure than what we're used to. Yeah, we're normally Normally Sundays. Sunday nights mm-hmm. we watch that, so we're going to have to fall into a rhythm and see how that works for us. But after episode one or two, we'll probably have that nailed down better for you. And we take a little longer than other podcasts because we like to really do our research first and then deliver a good podcast for you. Yes, if you're new to the whole CKC experience... We watch the episodes, we take our own notes on summary and recap, even if we pull from things elsewhere, a lot of that is our own note taking. In addition to that, we do any of the websites put out by the show. So for this one, it's the sci-fi website on The Magicians, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. And any other website, article, whatever is out there that we can find as much information as we can bring to you. Now, a little more background info. Michael London first optioned the books in 2011, intending to develop the show at Fox. X-Men First Class co-writers Ashley Miller and Zach Stentz wrote the pilot, but did not get the green light. London then redeveloped the pilot with McNamara, not the rapper, and Gamble (laughs) taking over writing duties and took the script to Sci-Fi, which ordered a pilot. The pilot, directed by Mike Cahill, was filmed in New Orleans in late 2014. Sci-Fi picked up the show for a 13-episode first season to be aired in 2016. McNamara and Gamble became executive producers. Oh, so that's why it took so long, because the books were optioned back in 2011, but you didn't see that premiere until 2015. So it's like, what was going on here with this show? Well, with shows like this, there's a lot of money that goes into it. There's a lot of uh, cast, like main cast. You've got to pay all those people like main cast members. I'm sure they don't get that much first season, but if it does well. And I guess Fox didn't go for it, so they had to reshop it, and it all takes time. Not for nothing, we have watched some Fox shows as of recently that really did not turn out so well. I'm more happy that it found a home at Sci-Fi. I think this is better. They're going to go more with the feeling of the books, which was incredibly dark. As much as this is a fantasy story about magic... It's, it's very dark. Very, we, very dark. We find out early on that unlike Harry Potter, where the magic comes from a source of love and all of these great things, with the magicians, it comes more from pain. Yeah. I think they're better suited to tackle such a concept. An interesting tidbit. So as we just said, the pilot was filmed in New Orleans, but then after it was picked up, it was then filmed in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So they had to replicate a lot of the sets for every detail. And on one of these websites, again, we'll get into later, they show these sets are amazing. You could live in them. Yeah, the whole Break Bill's lecture hall was completely recreated, and that's a lot of detail that they have to reproduce. 
we didn't get the numbers on the budget yet, but I'd be excited to know what that looks like. Yeah. And to be honest, we didn't watch it when it was on sci-fi. We didn't know about it last year. No. Uh, so we've watched it on Netflix and they swear on it. They say fuck. They say everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that's because it's on sci-fi they're allowed to do it because they wouldn't be able to if it was on Fox. But so we'll see once we see it on sci-fi. Maybe they beep it out. Looking at the figures, they had 0.9 million viewers for episode one. Then it went up to a million and then kind of dipped and held steady at about 0.7 for the rest of the season. That's really good for sci-fi, I'd say. And we know this is an obscure show, so chances are there's not going to be as many faces as the other shows which we have done, like Game of Thrones and Mr. Robot. Yes, and I was nervous that... And Westworld. A lot of people wouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. It got mixed, but to positive critical response. So mixed to good. It wasn't on the worse end. Metacritic gave it a 60 out of 100. Rotten Tomatoes, a 70%. And IMDb, a 7.5. I would definitely grade it higher. And they said the good things about it were the impressive special effects and the creative storytelling, but it had a derivative premise and occasionally sluggish pace. Which I don't know about sluggish pace. The only things that bothered me about this show, and it bothers me about a lot of shows, is when you have a younger cast, they often lean on the relationship. Yes. And that gets really dull for me after a while, because you've seen it in one show, you've seen it in all. I'm mad at you because you slept with my friend. <laughs> um, I'm mad at you because I love you, but I haven't told you that I love you, and you're supposed to know, but you don't know. Like, those... Uh. But I, I agree, and that makes it suffer a little on the rewatch. So it was interesting the first time through because that's all mixed in with the main plot line and the magic, everything moving forward. When you go back and rewatch episodes, those parts of relationship were kind of like, all right, let's let's fast forward a little bit through that. But they did well (laughs) with bouncing that off of Penny's humor off of it, like the way he reacts to them all acting weird. And and, uh, Elliot, he's great with that too. I was just going to say, that all comes right from the books. They had the same relationship struggles going on. They might have highlighted certain things a little more. Some of the characters are replaced. We'll talk about that. For instance, there was no Katie Mm -hmm. in the books. There was a different character who I incredibly enjoyed. I was so sad to see he's not a big part of it. Josh, we don't see him until a brief blip. Second Second to to last. last. Yep. In the Netherlands, but... For the most part, they were sticking true to book canon, and that's why they had to put this stuff in there. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the books a little bit that it was based off of. The book series is a fantasy novel by Lev Grossman. It tells the story of Quentin Coldwater, a teenager from Brooklyn, who discovers that the magical world of which he's read in books is in fact real. Yes, yeah, so a lot of that stuff from the first book is in fact the same. They learn about this magic, the fact that it's great but also deadly at the same time, that they're going to have to learn how to harness it. Some of the portrayal is a little bit different. For instance, they weren't really a group right off the bat. It started out a lot more about Quentin and Alice becoming friends, and Alice was even more of sort of an outcast, difficult to get through. She wasn't. She almost has this bossy difficult attitude on the show. It was more of a misunderstood, quiet, shy, but very powerful type of character in the books. 
And she so, was kind of like that in episode one and two. Yeah, they started making her a little bit more almost bitchy as time went on. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I do like her character, but it's a definite different feel. You're going to get write-ups of people saying you just hate women. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I just think some of the portrayal they chose to change, especially on the women, and I'm not quite sure why, if they were just trying to make them stronger and they thought this would make her stronger than a withdrawn, shy type of woman, and, you know, that could account for it. She's still shy. I think it would get annoying if she, you know, she was, even with the group, always shy with them. You know, that'd be like, all right, girl. Well, yes, but it took them a while to link up with the group. And thus it took her a while to come out of her shell. She she really bonded to Quentin eventually. And that wound up opening her up to this bigger world. But the character of Penny was vastly different. Yeah, you were telling me. He was more of kind of a nerd Socially awkward, not this tough, badass, wounded. Well, as the website puts it, an asshole. Yeah, I mean, he does act that way, and it becomes funny over time. But that's not at all like Book Penny. I think it's good that they did this, though, because Penny's kind of... <laughs> the way his exterior, which is very prickly, and he'll say what he wants, and he still has the same issue as they do in the books, which is... I've had such a bad past and I've been hurt so much that I'm, I don't allow people close to me. Mm-hmm. But the way he does it on the TV show is basically when people start getting close, he pushes them away by saying mean things and, and being an asshole. And all throughout season one, hating Quentin, where while it appear, appeared that way in the beginning of the books, you quickly find out it's more that he's jealous of Quentin hmm. and he doesn't feel like he belongs and it's just kind of... It's more of a wishing he could be part of that than a looking down on him. Another huge change is that the three of them, Quentin, Penny, and Alice, are chosen because they're so smart and they're doing so well very early on into their first year to be accelerated, to jump up to year two. So this was actually a regular undergraduate type of college, not a grad school. Yeah, they were much younger. As it's portrayed on TV. So it would be four years. They want them to move up to year two. That means they have to work to get all the rest of the stuff done from year one. Real quick. Really quick. Learn all that information. And it's already hard. So it's the three of them together just studying all the time, working, not really being able to integrate with the rest of year one, and then being pushed very quickly into year two. So it's really just the three of them. They bond together for a long time until they're exposed to more of the group, the Elliot and Margot, who's actually Janet in the books. <laughs> um, but it makes her a different dynamic. In the series, they're all 23 and 24. And you're saying in the books, they're more like 17, 18, right? Quentin was definitely supposed to be about 17 and was aged up to, yeah, 22 or 23, which not such a big deal except that the immaturity and uncertainty that he shows is more understandable at age 17. At age 22, it's a little less tro- tolerable. Mm. It's a little more obnoxious that, all right, dude, just grow up. Like even Julia is telling him, you got to grow up and get over it, this fixation. Let's get back to the books, though, for a second. So that was the first book, The Magicians. Then you had book two, The Magician King, which, as I said, is more about fillery. I won't tell you too much of the plot because I don't want to spoil anything for you. And then you had book three, The Magician's Land. I'm not sure how they're going to handle this on TV, if it's just going to be 
three seasons, each focusing on a book. Because they flew through season one and pretty much covered all of book one, including some of Julia's storyline from book two. I hate when TV shows feel like they have to rush through things because you end up missing a lot of the best parts. And hopefully, if because they were on Netflix and they saw a rise in popularity, maybe they'll know, okay, we have the ability to keep, let this kind of simmer and grow naturally and slower year after year. So hopefully they'll bring the reins in a little bit and really dive deeper into the magic and into the I think fillery if, world. Yeah, if they did that, book two has a lot of magic going on, so this would be the best place to split it into two seasons right. for book two at least. If they're anything like Harry Potter, they can just make it... <laughs> 10 years worth. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they could stretch it quite that far. But speaking about Fillory, this was pretty much directly taken from the books. Same idea that there was a man, Christopher Plover, the author of a book series called Fillory and Further, which was actually five books, which were published in Britain in the 1930s. And the books told the story of five Chatwin children, Martin, Fiona, Rupert, Helen, and Jane and their adventures in Fillory. Now, I always, I always had an issue with remembering these children's names. And I always had to ask you, like, wait, who are they talking about right now? It's also different in the TV show. I think there is still the idea that there's five Chatwin children, perhaps. But they focus on three of them, specifically. Martin, Rupert, and Jane. And even Rupert, you hardly get a look at him. This is the second eldest boy who they describe as being the first to grow up too quickly because he had to go to war. And when he comes back, he still does get the opportunity to go to Fillory with them. And then you don't really hear much about him after that. I wonder if he'll come up later. And then you have Martin and Jean. And of course, those are the two that the story really revolves around. Martin being the eldest boy, the one that we find out later. The beast. (laughs) Yes. Well, had terrible things happen to him at the hands of Christopher Plover. Yes. And that's what jaded him, traumatized him into wanting to escape to Fillory. He reached a certain age and Fillory had stopped taking him. His siblings were still able to get in and he wasn't for some reason. When Jane finally found a way for him to be able to come back by discovering that button that could Mm -hmm. transport him, he decided he was never going to leave. On his next trip, he went there and actually found a way that would make him powerful enough that he wouldn't have to go home. This is where he finds that he discovers that wellspring of magic, the thing that all of Fillory runs off of, uh, their lifeblood. And he starts to drink it so that he can become that powerful. Unfortunately, over time, as he's drinking it, it's draining the essence of Fillory. And that's why when we see present-day Fillory, it is not at all the beautiful, magical place that it used to be. It winds up taking all of his humanity from him until there's nothing left but this beast. And now they all have to try to find a way to defeat it. Jane's been trying to do that for quite some time now. She got her hands on a time-turner so she could make a time loop and keep going back trying to find a way to fix it, but... After 39 tries, it really hasn't worked out so well. Quentin kept dying. Yes, we get the idea that others kept dying, too, and she was looking for maybe the least of all evils. Unfortunately, she winds up dying 
And so the loop that they're running on now when we watch the TV series is the last chance. Yeah, and in order to keep this podcast from being five hours long, there's so many details from season one that I wanted to go over, but we just can't. But uh, I will say that one of the things I love about this show is that it's not just a one level show. There's so many different storylines mixed in that you learn from episode one what that meant in episode seven. Mm -hmm. And we learn that the scary figure that would come in and scare the kids in Fillory was actually... Oh, the Watcher Woman. Yeah, the Watcher Woman was actually Jane as an older woman. And she was scaring them to make her child version stronger than she was. Mm -hmm. Always a little bit stronger. Apparently not strong enough, as quoted by Jane. Well, plus she always just had to be there because she's running this time loop and she couldn't allow her younger self, her siblings, to see her. So she's cloaked, which looks mysterious. She's got the time turner. The clock is always ticking. And they just took her for a villain. But part of what I love about this TV show is in the last episode, I don't know why they didn't do this sooner, it was beautifully written that, first of all, you're getting the episode from Quentin narrating it to you mm-hmm. as that he pens the final book of Fillory and Further the sixth book, and he's giving you the inside information, which includes filling in spaces that you never knew from the actual book series, The Magicians. We're finding out things from the TV show that the books never answered for us. Yeah, like the witch and the fool who saved Jane from the clock tree, I guess, that was pulling her in. And it ended up being that Quentin was the fool and the witch was Julia. Yes, that was awesome. Well, like you said, we don't want to get too in-depth, but we're trying to cover just the important things and also the things that are going to be really relevant later on, and Fillory is certainly one of those things. So just a little more about it. I mean, Quentin does tell us this story about how it was formed out of this pure energy, so it's very inherently magical. That means the creatures here rarely need to do magic. They're just living in this awesome, beautiful world, (laughs) at least until it's ruined. We assume throughout all of time, Fillory has these monarchs. They preside over what is primarily an agricultural society. When we see it now, it has yet to recover from what the beast has done to it. It used to be ruled from the time of creation by the two gods, the twin ram gods, Ember and Umber. Umber was killed by his brother, Ember, right? No, by Martin. Oh, in the books. By Martin Chatwin. But in the show, it was killed by Ember. I think he might have said something very similar that Martin captured them and maybe he forced him to kill him or right. killed him in front of him. I'm, I'm not too sure. But yeah, now you're just left with Ember, who has kind of let himself go. Let himself go, <laughs> indeed. And if you have uh, trouble remembering who was killed, I always say Umber is under the ground. That's how I remember <laughs> Nice. But also, I love how most of the time when you see gods in TV shows or movies, they're either way overly dependent on their emotions. Mm -hmm. They're like angry and because they're angry, they take it out on the humans or they're slobs and don't care about Mm -hmm. anybody but themselves. Hedonistic almost. Yeah. And that's uh, who Ember is. Yeah. All about pleasure and just let himself go. Now we don't know if that's what he was like originally. Right. But he's been trapped in this cave and basically all he has left to him is to eat and sleep with all the wood nymphs. And he's bored. (laughs) Yeah. So even that one, they, 
like every God that's depicted, they are slaves to their own wants and needs, like sexual needs. Yeah, they definitely exaggerated that for the TV show. In Mm -hmm. fact, a lot of the sexual aspects have been exaggerated, and we'll talk about that. I think I remember from the books when the Magician series talks about the Fillory books, and this is hard because you've got a book within a book, uh-huh. the Chatwins are referring to Ember and Umber, the originals, when it was still a beautiful world, as being more godly, the way you think of it, mm. and wise and, and knowing and all of that. And so I think that they've definitely been knocked down a peg. What's interesting here, though, is that while they were the rulers of Fillory, they weren't necessarily really the creators. They helped shape it, but it came from this energy that was already in the universe. And once they shaped the world, that energy remained as this spring. Right. The they were born of the world, too. Right. So. The wellspring that Martin later drinks from. So they can actually be taken over. If somebody goes and drinks from that wellspring and gets stronger than them, they could defeat the gods, as we've seen. Yeah, essentially, the magic that created them can kill them. You would think that this wellspring would have a better safeguard on itself, right? Yeah, I don't think they talk about that much in the books, but it definitely was not just a little shack cabin (laughs) over the top of it. And we do have another example that we do see often that pure power can corrupt the soul. Yes. Which, you know, we've heard it so many times, but still, I was thinking about it when I was watching the second time. If I came across that well, I would still, I think I'd find myself going, let me just have a couple seconds. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Just let me get a baseline of power. And I think I would, to be honest with you. Well, and uh, yeah, I, I think I'd probably not be able to resist the temptation either. But we've seen the dire warnings from the beginning of this show of what can happen if you get too much magical power, too much if you get into spells that are too big for you. It can take you over and transform you, change you into something else. So we saw the example of Alice's brother, Charlie, early on who tried to tackle a spell that got away from him, and he got turned into a Niffin, which is essentially a creature of pure magic. That's right. And that's not a good thing. No. They run completely off of magical energy, and we saw what he was like. There was nothing human left to him, which is scary. It's kind of like in Harry Potter when you deal with the dark arts, which can sometimes be more powerful, that can transform you, just like Voldemort was Mm -hmm. transformed. But this, it's all magic. If you deal with it and you're not ready, that's when you can have issues and become a monster. Yeah, not only not being ready, but you need to, it feels like, be tied back to your humanity and your emotions, whatever that may be here. It's a lot more pain and darkness that it's running off of, but it's still human. That links them and connects them to it. And without that, there's problems. Because Martin Chatwin also has had all his humanity removed from him and this is kind of off topic but i keep forgetting and i just want to get it out there at first i thought oh it's kind of corny that they have to do like hand signs Hmm. but the more i see them do it and we saw this behind the scenes video where the actor who plays dean fogg showed us one to grow a tree it's actually quite beautiful and i think it's even cooler than just having a wand 
Yes. Now hold that thought because we are going to talk more about magic in this universe a little later oh, on. Oh, great. Magic. But here, back to Fillory for a moment. Yes, we have these twin gods. Even before what we see in our story, brotherly disputes drove them apart long ago, before the beasts killed Umber and banished Ember. By decree of the gods, the magical world has always been ruled by children of Earth. Two kings and two queens who reside at Castle Whitespire. They're gods, they're all powerful, but they don't do the day-to-day ruling of the kingdom. It's kind of like Narnia, as you said before, and there's four of them. I think Narnia was four as well, right? I believe so. It's been a while. So they wander in, and just by nature of being children of Earth, they can become rulers, but they have to prove themselves worthy. Right. And amongst those four, there's also one high king, and he's like the most in charge, if you will. And we see that that's going to be Elliot. We'll talk about that because that's interesting. But in this world, you have many species of beings. There's dryads, naiads, talking animals, intelligent trees, dwarves. And I hope that we're going to see more of that in season two. Yeah, I thought what was great is that in practice, while you're there, you'll learn how to tell the difference between animals that you can hunt and the animals that are intelligent, mm-hmm. uh, trees that you can chop down for wood and trees that are intelligent. And then they also said you can tell the difference between dwarves and just crabby short people, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah, and Josh gives us an introduction to that too, right? When he's telling us about his class going over there for spring break, which wound up horribly, but initially it was a great time. They were all sleeping with these magical oh, creatures. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Slept with a, a horse. So let's go back to the 10 changes book to screen. We talked about the characters being older, Fillory appearing much er earlier on in the TV show, Julia's story appearing much earlier, Janet now being Margot. So it's pretty much the same character, but they thought there would be too many J names. I agree. I don't know. No, I have difficulty with names. So thank you. Okay. So, all right. (laughs) Now she's Margot. My biggest loss, which was Josh. Instead of Josh, you now have Katie. And again, I think they wanted to have more female characters, more of a balance there, especially strong female characters. I like the character of Katie, but if you read the book, Josh was really wonderful. They kind of give you a glimpse when you finally meet him. Yeah, he was funny. But he is just great. It's like that all the time. He's part of the main group, and he brings a lot of comic relief that I miss seeing on the TV show. They've given Penny some of that, which was a nice balance. Yeah. And Elliot, too. What does he say? And it begins, or something like that. (laughs) That was funny. I feel like that's me sometimes in the group. I just say things that are random. Then you have the Beast and Dean Fogg. This happened a little differently. One of the first major incidences that they face where on the TV show, Alice kind of pulls Quentin into this idea of having a seance so that they can try to contact her brother, Charlie. Right. And the others get in on it. Whereas in the books, it was only Quentin. He was bored during a class and started almost inadvertently doing a little bit of magic, which affected the teacher. The teacher said the spell that they were doing wrong 
because of being affected and because the way the spell was altered, that's what opened up the portal and the beast was allowed to come through. So it was pretty much all Quentin's fault. That's funny because in the show, I guess they kind of call to it because the teacher, before the beast comes through the mirror, the teacher is talking about when mixing herbs and things that you really have to pay attention to what kind of metals you're using to mix it. If it's an iron spoon, it can really change the effects. Mm -hmm. And if it's gold, blah, blah, blah. He's talking about every little thing can change a spell into something completely different. So that's kind of a callback to that. But I see why they did it this way where they had the group do it because they had to get the group together and working together quicker in the shows. Absolutely. And that's what they used to do it. And it brought a bigger emotional impact because it was just some teacher that was attacked in the books, whereas it's Dean Fogg in the show who comes in and tries to save them and and is then attacked by the Beast. And I guess we relate to that more because he's going to be more of a primary character. Julia's journey to the Hedge Witches was a lot different. You did not have that really prominent main female villain in Marina, which we will discuss more when we get into the characters. There was also no pivotal sexual assault by Reynard the Fox, which was a huge controversy in season one on TV. I did see they had a phone number for uh, a rape abuse anonymous uh, service at the end of the show. Yeah, hotline. Hotline, that's right. At the end of that episode, yeah. Without getting too much into it, this was criticized between the brutal depiction of Julia being raped and the fact that the rape gave her extra magical powers, as well as once she remembers the assault, she betrays her friends by forming an alliance with the beast and is essentially embracing a murderer who he himself, Martin Chatwin, is also a rape survivor and became more powerful. So they're saying the show has now suggested the two victims of sexual assaults are the two people that become villains. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, one, we don't know what her deal is yet. No. We don't know if she's going to be a villain. She might be playing him. I'd like to think that she's not going to... There's there's more to it than just how they ended it. Because they always do that with the or end of the season. Or she made a mistake. She's looking for revenge on this horrible right. creature. And she's not thinking. Plenty of characters in this show have made bad mistakes. Yes. Elliot with his drugs. Taking uh, a carrot that induces acid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> while they're trying to run away from... Killers. I mean, but this is real quick. I'm getting worried about how shows are getting reprimanded after episodes that deal with touchy subjects. Mm-hmm. We had the same deal with Westworld when we were reviewing that one. Mm-hmm. Game and of Thrones. Game of Thrones. This is supposed to be art. Mm-hmm. Books, TV shows, art should be able to live on its own and be able to flourish and not have corners where it can't go. Mm-hmm. Because then it's really, we're watering down creativity. Yes, and I, I think that they're doing their best to portray a fictional world and the consequences of something that, yes, is, some, is an event that really happens in the real world, but has different results because it, It is a fantasy world. Now, I think they did a great job with Martin Chatwin. 
I don't think it's because he was sexually assaulted that he became a villain. That was a major factor yes. in what happened later, just as the things that affect everybody, especially major events early on, kind of change who we become. Mm-hmm. It's not set in stone that that means you have to become that way. But certainly that's how Martin took it. He went to this world to escape. He wanted to become stronger in order to be able to face it. And we don't even know if he knew that was going to take away his humanity over time. Right. Or if it happened and then what's he going to do? There's not enough human left in him to tell him this is wrong. Now, Julia's, I see people being upset because it is changed from the book. They put it in, and I'm not sure why, why if it was necessary. And that's we don't know yet. often when people get frustrated, when they think that this horrible thing is being depicted without purpose in the storyline. And I have to say, they left off season one like that. So, of course, it's disturbing. You don't feel comfortable leaving the whole season like that. But, yeah, I think we got to wait and see what happens in season two and how they tie that in. And I believe we're going to get more storyline as far as Martin is concerned of him in Fillory when he was a kid. I believe they'll have flashbacks of that. I and hope we'll so. we'll see what made him become the beast. I think there's more to it that we don't, that we're not aware of yet. Sure. Speaking of things affecting you and becoming the way you are, another difference from the books was that we did not see Quentin in the psych ward. Like we, we saw depicted in the TV show, there was a whole episode of him dealing with that. He was always depressed. And that did run through his storyline. We also said that it was not quite him as the chosen one. We'll talk about other differences as we go along, but let's get into our characters. And while we're talking about him, our main character is, of course, Quentin Coldwater, played by Jason Ralph. You might know this actor from NBC's Aquarius, Netflix, Grace and Frankie, or HBO Looking. He's also done some theater work. As Quentin, our main protagonist... We've talked about how he suffers from depression, self-esteem. He always feels misunderstood. In fact, even after he finds magic, he realizes those problems don't just go away. No. He continues to struggle with that as the story goes on. And of course, he's a longstanding fan of the Fillory books. That's what leads him to all of these adventures. His house is physical magic. You don't know it yet in the TV show. Again, minor spoiler. But in the books, you come to learn that his discipline within that house is repair of small objects. So the show and the websites tell us there are seven different houses that you can fall into. Physical, psychic, illusions, traveling, healing, knowledge, and natural magic. That's kind of the big grouping of your discipline. But then you have a smaller grouping. So Alice is in the physical magic group, but her specialty, if you will, is phosphoromancy, the ability to bend light. And Quentin's is repair of small objects, which he thinks is bullshit when he finds that out. I think it's funny if you think of this as the Dungeons and Dragons game, Mm -hmm. where you have a group of people and along your journey, you get new abilities and you kind of try to spread out the abilities so you can help each other. This would be perfect for to have in your group a guy that can repair things for you. Absolutely. While you're on a journey, that's perfect. And also in the Breakbill website, which we will go over later, but I have to bring this up, they have backgrounds of every student as if you're, you work for the school and you see their backgrounds before they're accepted into the school and you see what they know about them. I thought this was funny 
Quentin first became sexually aware while watching the David Bowie movie Labyrinth as a child. <laughs> to this day, Quentin is unsure whether it was related to the female lead or the creatures. I just thought it was funny, and it, it makes more sense if you read the rest of the paragraph. But That is funny, but they, they actually do play with the idea of him figuring out his sexuality as we go along. It's a lot more overtly talked about in the books, Elliot's exploration of his own sexuality and the mm-hmm. fact that he always has his eye on the younger, uh, good-looking male students that come in. So he was caught by Quentin immediately, although he never said anything. And it's not till much later on that Quentin kind of picks up on that. And, of course, there is the infamous threesome of him, Elliot, and Margot right. the night that they're drunk. Yeah, if you're wondering why a quote-unquote cool kid like Elliot right away starts hanging out with Quentin, who's not the cool kid, Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons, because it's his new project. Yes. And his home slice, Margot, just follows Elliot around with what he wants, because Margot's kind of in love with Elliot. Yes, they have an interesting dynamic, too. Her always in love with him, but knowing that he's unattainable, and they're not going to wind up together but yet she doesn't really want him to be with anybody else either. She's sort of content with the fact that he's miserable and going to be alone because he has his sidekick, Margot, and they're always (laughs) going to be a duo even though they're not romantically connected. And real quick, back to Quentin. In his file that Breakbill has, they believe that, and this is what brought up the paragraph I just read, they believe that part of Quentin's issue with his squirminess and his uh, quiet nature is that he's never really had sexual encounters except for two random ones that were very weird. They hint at that a little bit in the TV show, don't they? When he's talking to his therapist early on and he's thinking back to being at the party. That's right, yeah. Yeah, they, they kind of play with it. So let's move on to Alice Quinn, played by Olivia Taylor Dudley. She's quiet, painfully shy, but talented magician. She's the same year as Quentin. She comes from a family legacy of magicians, but was not originally invited to Break Bills because of her brother Charlie's history. Mm. You've got to check out this Break Bills website. They do give you an in-depth background of they really want her. She's very gifted, but then put a note later on, we, we cannot accept her here. And that's why, because of what happened to her brother. Yeah. And people in school think she's so good because of her family legacy, but what they don't know is her father and mother are so self-involved. They never really helped her out. They didn't teach her anything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A little crazy. They didn't teach her anything. She learned it on her own. She's a hard worker. She's also from the physical house and her discipline is phosphoromancy. Mm -hmm. The thing she does with bending light. Yeah. Don't tell me to say that three times. (laughs) Olivia is also played in the Chernobyl Diaries, Paranormal Activity, Arrested Development, and CSI. All right. Next you have Julia Wicker. Quentin's unrequited love, played by Stella Maeve. Of course, we know she did not get into break bills, and we find out later on that was part of Jane Chatwin's plan. Right, this time around. Every other time around through these time loops, she was supposed to wind up at break bills, and that's why she felt so strongly this was a mistake. Yes. She was supposed to be here. Why could she remember all of it? And we do find out from Ember that by the time... Quentin meets Ember, she's normally dead. Mm. So her not going to that school saved her life. Yes. And I guess that's what was happening here was a lot of these things, there was no real good ending for it. 
So now this time around, Julia's been through this horrible event, but if they'd picked a different path, she wouldn't have been alive. Jane was trying to figure that out and imagine with all of these different people, all of the things that could happen to them, just trying to find that right balance mm. of the least awful. With Julia, it seems like it's going to be okay. In the beginning, of course, it's terrible. She can't get over it. She goes on this quest and finds hedge witches, which is really bad until she hooks up with Richard, and it seems a lot better. In fact, it seems that they're even discovering access to a god. Yeah. And she believes that right up until the end when we find out the real memory of what happened to her, unfortunately, by Reynard the Fox. Now, because she wasn't in break bills, we don't get the house that she was in. She is very strong with spells. She's got powerful magic. I'm guessing the physical house she would have been in. Yeah, that much we know. And she's more powerful than ever before, as pointed out by the Beast, when Mm. they find them in the end. Let's move on to William Penny Adeyote. Yes, Penny as we know him. Played by Arjun Gupta, the proud outcast. Rude, sarcastic, lonely. We've already gone over that. That <laughs> changed a little bit for the show. He's a traveler, and he's very powerful, and his hands were cut off by the beast. He's from the physical house, and his discipline is interdimensional travel. Now, I think he's the strongest of the group. And in the Break Bill's website, they go over how they need to have him in the school because of how gifted he is, and they believe they can rein him in and... Uh, help him with his issues of growing up. Well, yeah, let's talk about this because it is a little different from what we see in the books. In the TV show, they tell us he is the first traveler that's been at the school in a number of years. If they have one, it's usually only one. It's a very rare ability. And even those who are able to do it, there's varying levels of power. Penny doesn't think he's very good at it at first, but that's because he just doesn't understand it. It takes him meeting other people that explain to him. And as soon as he starts learning, you can tell that he's going to be very good as well. Mm -hmm. Now, in addition to that traveling, he is also able to kind of read people's minds. He doesn't like it put that way, that he has psychic abilities, but he can hear what other people are saying. It causes a lot of comedy as related to Quentin. You know, he can hear him humming that dumb song and then can't get it out of his head. And as you mentioned, another emblem of his power is the fact that in the scene with the beast at the very end of season one, there are lots of talented magicians in that room, all of which he simply knocks out. But Penny, he feels the need to cut his hands off, which is going to cut off his ability to do magic. Why else do that unless you think he's a very serious threat to you? Exactly. If you watch that scene again, you'll notice how he picks them all off very easily, including Penny. Mm -hmm. But he makes sure to basically cut Penny's balls off as a magician Mm -hmm. by getting rid of his hands. Now, we think, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I hope that he can get his hands fixed just like Dean Fogg did. But uh, uh, we know that he doesn't need his hands to travel or to go into other people's minds. So maybe that's going to end up being his only strength. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you brought up Dean Fogg because we saw how important it was for him. Given that choice between his eyes and his hands, it wasn't even a choice. Right. Dean Fogg said, it's got to be my hands. Of course, I'm a magician. I need them. And how incredibly 
complicated and difficult it was to have his hands healed. They didn't even think they were going to be able to do that. I'd say out in the middle of nowhere in Fillory, it's going to be a tough shot getting Penny fixed. Certainly. And yes, what is his level of magic going to be now? It doesn't seem like he needs his hands to travel or do any of that. So hopefully he will still be able to. But I'm assuming that season two will go a lot more into that. I don't understand why Jane believes that these are the people that do it. As we saw that none of them could grab the special knife because no one was a master magician yet. And Mm. if you're not a master magician, how are you supposed to beat the beast who can beat gods? A lot of it is not about that talent being there yet. We did hear her telling Quentin, you have to learn, you have to start preparing yourself, but it's not all at school and following the path. You need some real life experience. And most of that started happening only once they got on this journey to Fillory. Mm. You know, Alice became stronger because Ember imbued her, so to speak, with (laughs) With his his magical powers. (laughs) Julia gained her strength by the horrible experience she went through so slowly along the way they are finding they all of them trained to learn battle magic on their own before they came to Fillory. I think that you're going to see their levels being upped based on life experience. Stupid question. Now, why did Jane not just go back in time to when her brother was a child and either change his future or get rid of him? When, he, when she could dispose of him. She probably couldn't bring herself to do that. She thought she could save him. She mm. hoped she could save him. Yeah, but now she's working so hard to get people to kill him. Yeah, it's so true. So go back in time and change it. It's true, but Never now she doesn't button. have that chance anymore. Now you don't have to save him. Yeah. Never give him the button. But then she's leaving him alone to that horrible fate. Mm. It's tough. Yeah, it's a tough call. Our next character is Elliot Waugh? Not sure how you pronounce that. They never really use his last name. He's played by Hale Appleman. He's a natural leader and magician, though that's hard to tell in the beginning. He's often unmotivated, a bit of an alcoholic, we yeah. see, wallowing in his own kind of depression and confusion and yeah. his own sense of being misunderstood and not being able to find anything that fulfills him. But he is now determined to take responsibility as High King. It seems as though this is going to really change him. And change him for the better, we hope. But it'll also change Margot Hansen, played by Summer Bichil. Sorry if I, I said her name wrong. She's <laughs> a party animal, attached to Elliot, gossip and drama, but keen observer. Now, we all know that Margot loves Elliot, and she has... Come to the terms that Elliot likes men, Mm -hmm. so she can't have him. But even when he's with men, she kind of just wants him all for herself. She wants him to be miserable with her. Mm -hmm. And we do find out a background in the Break Bill website that she loves to be in power. She also was once caught by Break Bills creating her own fraternity (laughs) not sorority, Mm -hmm. where she was the head of the fraternity. And during hazing, she was found on a throne on top of a bunch of naked students (laughs) being hazed. Oh, boy. So she's all about power. And now that Elliot has the power and she's going to be a queen, we're going to see how she deals with the fact that Elliot is now with Fen. And uh, I'm sure this is going to be one of those emotional 
parts that we don't really like, but hopefully they deal with that good. Yeah, you saw right away when he found out that he was never going to be able to be with anybody else in this world, anywhere else, sleep with them, anything. He was bound to this marriage and he had to take it seriously to this new young wife, Fen, that has been thrust upon him by the man that made them the magical knife that they needed so badly. But he's ready to step up to that. He understands in about a half a second what that means, and he says nothing else prior to this has made him happy. Not all of the men that he's been with, the drinking, even magic didn't do it for him. It's very similar to what Quentin has been going through. So he's ready to take this challenge, but Margot, I don't think, ever anticipated him saying that. And she is really not happy about that because where does that put her? And yeah, in a sense, they've had their own little power circle going on. I mean, mm-hmm. at Break Bills, they were kind of the cool kids in charge of their cottage. She had her own power that came from the fact that she was a gossip and knew all this stuff about everybody. And, you know, Fillory is a whole new world. And so not just her place with Elliot, but her place in everything. Who is she now? Where does she belong? And I think a lot of them are going to struggle with that. You see Quentin, his main difficulty is he thought he was supposed to be the one. And now he's coming to terms with more and more as he's in Fillory, maybe he's not the one. Mm. It seems like Julia has more power than him. He gave up the... Sperm? Sperm from Ember (laughs) willingly to Alice because he thought, well, she's really the one. She's smarter than me. She's better than me. It was and actually now, smart the way he deduced that. He said, I've died 39 times. You know, maybe it wasn't me. Yeah, and now Elliot is high king. You saw how shocked he was oh, when yeah. the man were cutting their hands, and both the man and him kind of looked down like, oh, my goodness, it's not me. So what is Quentin's place, you yeah. know? Well, that's all going to be... Uh, Shocking. I know, right? I love how we narrated that. That's going to be very interesting. Then we have Katie Orloff-Diaz, played by Jade Taylor. We see that she starts out as a student at Breakbills with the rest of our group. She is sort of in a relationship with Penny. I mean, they are. They have their own thing going on. Mm-hmm. But that kind of gets broken up at Breakbills South. She leaves. We learn of her background, that she's a daughter of a hedge witch. A lot of this is what's made her so tough and resolute, the kind of person she is now. And upon leaving, she becomes hooked up with the free trader Beowulf group of hedge witches that Julia becomes part of that's kind of run by Richard and her alias there is Osmodeus. Then we, of course, have Dean Henry Fogg, played by Rick Worthy. He's the dean of Breakbills. And... He is one of the few characters who is aware of the time loops. And we see him in the beginning of this whole series, speaking to Jane, first scene of the series, in regards to you have to get them, you have to start training them. And he's the one that says, they're not even at break bills yet. Yeah, I had forgotten until our rewatch that it actually was the first scene of episode one that that happened. He's interesting because... You know, without getting too deep into it, <laughs> when he's fed the truth serum by Quentin, well, it was funny. He was like, you get me every time with this. <laughs> I don't know how you keep getting me with this. But he almost seems, when he's telling Quentin everything, he almost seems uh, like rushed, like you're annoying me. Like he this. doesn't care. Yeah. And he gets like that periodically throughout the seasons. There is no 
Dumbledore-esque attachment to Quentin as though he cares about him and is trying to mentor him. It's more of a, you just have to do this. Stop whining and bothering me with it and go fucking do it. And I don't always get what that relationship is about. And I don't think it was adequately described in the books either, so maybe the show is confused. Well, you did have a interesting depiction about that last night. Do you remember what you were saying? Basically, you were t- telling me that maybe it was because he needs to be distant with them this time. He felt maybe like the other times he was too coddling with them, and he thought maybe that's why they kept losing. So he's on purpose being distant about it and on purpose making them figure it out on their own. Yeah, well, that's kind of a random guess. I mean, none of that comes from book canon. That of could course. be... It, well, that's where a podcast we randomly guess all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be that you see Jane telling them it's really about you guys just showing up and being there. So what is he going to do? I mean, there's no way to prepare you for this horrible future that lies in store for you. You just have to do it because you're meant to be a part of that. Right. It's a hard position that he's been put in, and I hope that we get more exposure to the Dean in the TV show, even, and and what his background is. Because I think Rick Worthy is doing a great job of portraying Dean Fogg. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okay, next you have Marina Andrieski, played by Casey Roll. She was a former student at Breakbills, was kicked out, and became a powerful hedge witch, the leader of this group that we see her in charge of when Julia joins up with them. There's an interesting dynamic there because we don't know at first that she's the leader. When Julia's put through that series of tests at the safe house, we think she's another girl just going through it with her. And really, she did that on purpose so she'd be on the inside and could see how good Julia was. Mm-hmm. She's very impressed with her. She takes a liking to her and wants to train her up. But they eventually have a falling out once Julia realizes what she's like, that there's this very dark, sinister side to Marina yeah. that doesn't mind hurting people. The, the, the quest for power, and that's been talked about often. The quest for power, but I think the real straw with her was when Marina convinced her into playing that trick, so she thought, on Quentin that trapped him in his mind. Right. And Julia thought it was just going to be a little revenge scheme, but it put him in actual danger, and Quentin could have gotten stuck there forever. And when she saw that Marina knew that and was willing to do that, it was like, who are you? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Marina kills Katie's mother, and there's just so many things that convince Julia she is not a very good person. And yet, when Julia goes through that horrible experience of being raped by Reynard the Fox, Marina shows up, and she seems to very kindly tell her, I'm here to help you puts that memory patch back on for her so that she won't have to remember what she's been through. So I think Marina's more complex than we originally thought she was. Yeah, I'm hoping that she comes back in the story and maybe she's on the good guy side. We know she's very powerful now that she has everything that she learned back in her brain from Breakbell. Yeah, she got her memories back. Yeah, so now she's like, oh, I thought I was powerful before. Now I have all this back. And I think, she, though, there was a part of her that didn't know as well 
the real consequences of what can happen when you fuck around with magic on this level. When she yeah. saw that in front of her with Julia, that really hit home. And you see there's a human side to her. I think that this actress is doing an amazing job of playing Marina. Some of the best yes. acting on the show. <laughs> so I'm very eager to see that continue. Moving on to Richard, played by Mackenzie Aston. He's the magician and a member of the free trader Beowulf. He's also the chaplain at a rehab center where he met and recruited Julia to their group. And um, he's definitely dead now. He was possessed by Reynard the Fox. And I believe Julia was in love with him. Yes. Or falling in love with him. Um, we don't know if it was maybe because he was like the fatherly figure that she needed at the time. But uh, we know that, or we believe that he had kindness in his heart and what he was trying to do there was not something dark. No, from when she first met him working at the rehab center, he was trying to open her up to, there's more to this. Magic can be used for good and to help people. And that's when he brought her to help that woman who was paralyzed, trapped inside of her own body, who wanted to die. Yeah. But he was showing her, you know, that this stuff couldn't happen without us. And there's so many things out there that we could be doing as magicians to help the world and help people. And he really believed that. And they really were trying to summon this goddess for good. None of them knew what they were playing with. So, yeah, I'm not sure. It wasn't that real deep connection. Mm -hmm. But she definitely was in love with him on some level. It was what she needed then and it was horribly traumatic to lose him as you said when he got taken over by Reynard the Fox who is a shapeshifter he's a conniving and deceitful god who causes mayhem and he said he fed off of others stupidity and mm. ignorance the trusting too yeah and he can boost a magician's power through sexual intercourse which is very weird but uh yeah again a, a break from the book we're not too sure about the specifics of all of this, but mm-hmm. definitely that it's happened to Julia. He said something to her during the middle of raping her that he was going to make her into something. Yeah. You know, he never finished that. But That's right. We see her gaining that power. And, of course, we already discussed the Chatwin children, so that pretty much wraps up all of our main characters. It is a very long list, but you do have a lot of them. So we we mostly discussed the reoccurring ones or the ones mm-hmm. that will carry through to season two. I want to go back for a minute to talking about magic in this world. You brought that up earlier, and it was a really good point. Each fantasy universe that we encounter has a slightly different idea about the way magic operates. And you mentioned the fact that they don't use wands here, as we see in some other universes like Harry Potter, but instead the magician's own hands and will. They use simple hand gestures and finger movements in order to harness magical energy and produce the effects. They talk about how this is reminiscent of a style of dance known as tutting, which I think you brought up. And that involves creating geometric shapes and sharp angles with one's body, mostly your hands and arms. It mimics ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. The name is actually derived from the pharaoh Tutankhamun, known as King Tut. Ah. But what makes the magic more difficult here is that you have to account for things known as circumstances. And they bring that up when they talk about the Welters Championship, and they use that 
board. It's called Welter's Game. Mm-hmm. And each one of them requires a different kind of magic, but also used within a different set of circumstances. They say that just as a verb must agree with the subject, even the simplest spell has to be modified, adjusted, and changed to agree with the time of day, the lunar phase, the intention, anything you could possibly think of, even if you're near a body of water. In other words, the exact circumstances have to relate to the spell. There are hundreds, possibly thousands of different circumstances. Now, I didn't understand this. Obviously, the show couldn't really explain that, and it was a short scene, but... Like anything, I'm, I love games, and now you have magic games. I'm really interested. So you're telling me, like, the first board that the other team did was to grow a tree, and she failed it. Was this because it wasn't just growing the tree? It was yes. more like... And so how do they know the circumstances? Are they supposed to adjust and learn it, the circumstances as they're building the tree? Yes, when they're doing their training at school, this is part of what they're doing. First, they learn how to cast the spell. What are the hand movements? What do they have to do to actually make it happen? But then they learn about accounting for different circumstances and how to cast differently depending on what those are. So I guess, for example, if you put that into RL, well, their RL, not ours, when they were in basically Grand Central, the Magic Grand Central, the Mm -hmm. other worlds... Alice had to create a spell where they were invisible. And she said it's going to be difficult with two suns. Yes. But she was able to do it. She had to cast differently in order for that. That's correct. That's definitely. So this mimics that. Right. So with Welters, this is a game that they came up with a long time ago to help students learn about how to do that. Ah. It's not as intense as Quidditch, but. Yeah. Well, initially it reminded me of Wizard's Chess. Oh, yes. In Harry Potter, where you had to move them around, but they could suddenly start hitting you or Mm -hmm. or hurting you. But the grid actually shows that. The Welter's board is composed of a grid of squares, and each represents the circumstances. So you have to cast a spell correctly in order to capture that square. Now, do they move up like a chess match where, like, you have to get to the other side of the board? I think so. I think that's the main thing, except that there's that special grid in the middle where you could cast this crazy spell, and then I guess you would automatically win, which is what Quentin did. Right. But anyway, going back to the magic and the spells, you need the hand movements, the knowledge of the circumstances. Those are the physical aspects of magic and the knowledge. You also have the psychological aspects that are crucial to performing a spell. Magic is based on something powerful within a magician, much like willpower. It is a focused intensity, a clear view, and an unwavering sureness. For a spell to work... It has to be done from the heart as well. Hmm. That's why we see when they're trying to learn battle magic later on. (laughs) A lot of times, because it's so complicated, one of the hardest things they'll have to learn, they're not able to do it when they're experiencing these emotions that they can't properly harness. So Penny and Alice decide to try to do it, and they work really hard to get a handle on their feelings, their emotions, and channel them. They're actually able to learn to do that. Elliot, Margot, and Quentin kind of give up very early on and say, that's impossible. It's easier if we just use these little vials that will hold our feelings for them. Yeah. And so when they're ready to start doing magic, they take their emotions out and put them into the emotions bottles. And they're able to properly cast the spells. The problem with those is you can only use them for so long. And when they're done, all the feelings come flooding back Rushing at once. back. 
I, I, so how would we use that in real life? I guess if I'm going to my boss to say I need a raise, it would help to have my emotions in a bottle so I can just be straight up. Well, anything that's <laughs> incredibly taxing mentally that you need to have all your focus for, it's very difficult if you're feeling emotion. Hmm. If you're having an overwhelmingly emotional day, it's going to be hard for you to do that. Maybe doing a test Yeah, would help. Driving, maybe? I could see a lot of things, and, and they show that in a very clever way in the TV series because they are so effective when they do take those emotions out, but it's so overwhelming as soon as they put it back in. So it's almost a toss-up. Yeah. If they could really learn to manage it, like Alice and Penny are doing, that's obviously the preferable thing. I think Dean Fogg has a permanent emotionless... <laughs> It's also really funny how they immediately change. Oh, when they scream at the librarian? No, when the emotions are out of them. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was feeling about Quentin would have gotten us all killed, but I'm good now. Yeah, that way too. (laughs) But also when the librarian takes it back. Oh, that sucks. That was supposed to match my outfit. (laughs) Speaking of magical things, you talked about the different websites that you can go to for yes. extra fun, one of them being breakbillsu.com, which is really clever. If you haven't checked it out yet, I definitely you recommend that you do that. It takes you on the whole experience as though you were a new student attending Breakbills. Everything from introducing you to about it, to taking the entrance exam, and then there are 13 lessons that you can go through to learn different magical instruction. Yeah. And it's more about the experience than the game because the games are very basic. simple and basic <laughs> and it's not really uh, challenging. But the visuals are great and it's kind of, it's just fun if you're a fan of The Magician. I love how movies and shows are really starting to have a great companion to them as far as their website is concerned. Yes. We had a great podcast for our Patreon members last month the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Mm-hmm. And we had a good portion of that talking about their website and how great it was of an experience. And we're finding the same thing here with the magicians. I feel like that started, at least for me, with Game of Thrones. They had the first really vast companion interactive stuff with all of their information about the different houses and sigils and maps It was almost like for something that large, the universe that he had created, you need additional info and explanation. Oh, absolutely. And this is very similar because you have all these different worlds. And in fact, on one of them, it gives you the map of Fillory, which we'll get into. And then here it talks about break bills. It gives you first about it, that it's the premier institution for the study of magic in North America and... It was established in 1763, and it tells you about them. So on the TV show, it's a three-year graduate program instead of undergraduate type of college. You would think you'd need more than three years to get really good at magic. Especially given everything that they tell you that you're studying there. Mm -hmm. Alchemy, astronomy, botany, cryptozoology, illusions, magical history, practical application of spellcasting, healing, and psychic magic. I would love to go to that school. So you get a little speech by Dean Fogg, 
in the beginning. That's what I love. They have some clips from the actual show, but mostly it's extra. Yeah. So Dean Fogg is talking to you as if you're a new student. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. And then you can go into your lessons. Like you said, each one has a little game or a thing that you have to do. But the really fun part is the visuals, the topics that they give you. And once you go through whatever the challenge is, then they'll either give you a video clip or information about the topic. No, there's so much to it. I'm just going to tell you to go on there and look. But as a brief overview, you learn about spell casting. You have to break into Dean Fogg's safe at one point. <laughs> you determine your discipline, what category you would fall in. So where did you get placed, Jason? My house was the physical magic. Nice. I rock. What was yours? Mine was psychic magic. Oh. I can read your mind. Together we <laughs> create Captain Planet. He talks about the Welters tournament, which is cool. You get a midterm exam. You talk to Mayakovsky. That one was great. He actually speaks to you, and I think I quoted him on our Twitter. Nice. Which was fun. He's a fun character. That was actually a really great episode. Oh, yeah. Where they travel to Breakville South. Very magical. Don't be a snowflake. (laughs) You learn about understanding travelers. You get to explore the Plover Estate, which was fun. And then you get a partner. So who would you do magic best with? What character from the show? And I partnered with Alice. Oh, that's fitting for you. I like that. Yeah, me too. Conversely, I got Elliot. That's funny. You need that, I guess. I guess so. It's so different from me. You need the party animal. And then they give you your magical creature. Who would you best be bonded to as a spirit animal or your cryptozoology personality? Now, unlike Fantastic Beasts, where I got all the boring animals, (laughs) this one was cool. I got a river dragon. Uh, You live underwater and keep to yourself. Few merit your attention, but when you deign to speak, you have many cryptic pearls of wisdom to offer. Wow. That's right. I don't know if it's true, but... (laughs) I got a Niffin. Niffin. So that's what Charlie turned into? Oh, my goodness. That creature of pure magic? Yeah. Which is a little bit scary. I'd say so. But kind of cool. Then you had Navigating the Netherlands and a Practical Application, which had a final exam. Definitely go check it out, but give yourself a lot of time. Yeah. Because it takes a while to go through, but you don't have to do all the lessons at once. You can do some and then come back to them. It's really fun. I wish they went into the tournament more. They could they could have really explained it to you. Yes. And had you like like pick which blocks to throw it on. Play it. Yeah. Actually like play legit it. Legit play it. Yeah. Maybe someday they will. That would have been cool. And lastly, in the Break Bills University, which I already spoke about, uh, but I just want to reiterate, you get the, I guess you would say, files behind every character. Yes. You get their age, you get what their education is, and you get a history of what their personalities are and how they could help or how, how break bills could help them and, you know, reasons why they're good for break bills and reasons why to test them. And it's really cool. It gives you a background of every student that you didn't know. So definitely go to that website. Again, it's breakbillsu.com. But while you're surfing the net, make sure you go to coffeeclatchcrew.com and you check out all of our other channels. We did a great podcast on Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones, the Westworld podcast, and Sherlock. 
we've had a great time doing it and we've gained a lot of clatchers with that and hopefully a lot have followed us here and the fact that we're doing the magicians is a little scary because we know it's not as large as all those so if you're really enjoying this make sure you get the word out tell your friends about it tell your social media friends as well and be sure to go to our the magicians channel on itunes and leave a review we're going to be highly dependent on the reviews in this one yeah, that's a big factor for us. For those of you who have followed us through all of those shows, I know it gets a little bit annoying that we're yeah. asking consistently. However, it is like starting all over each time we develop a new channel. This will be a bit of a longer season, so that helps us. It's 13 episodes, but as soon as you can, if you would like to help us grow and ensure that we can keep doing shows like this that are perhaps a little bit smaller, not the mainstream audience, but that we are really passionate about they're really exciting. They have all of this extra bonus material that makes it so fun. You can go on to that channel, make sure it's for the magicians, although we do appreciate it on regular Coffee Clatch crew and the others. But here on the magicians, leave us a quick review. It can be just a couple of words that help people start to notice us and find us on iTunes. Because of that, in the past, all of our channels have gotten to the top of the charts for iTunes. And let's just see if we can do it again. Yeah. Because we have amazing fans, bottom line. (laughs) Yeah. And last thing, while you're on the website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, check out our Patreon page. This is where we do every month an extra bonus episode where you get backgrounds about ourselves and our, our lives. And we also talk about other shows and current events. It's really fun and it's really laid back. And we also do a movie review podcast every month. Um, we go to the movies. We watch the the hottest movie out there and we review it and give you backgrounds on that. We do a lot of research for those. We have a lot of fun information pertaining to the movies, but even the other levels, we have some that are as little as $1 or $3 and you can still get a lot of fun bonus content. So it's worth taking a look. Every penny helps us. Coming back to The Magicians, the final thing that we looked at as an extra was the Explore Fillery section. Oh, yeah. They have a really great map. So you can see the different areas because I think this is going to be a lot more relevant in season two. It's probably not going to mean much now, but you can go into them and read about them, what they are. Every section on the map is very interactive. Very cool. Make sure your speakers are on. In looking this up, I also stumbled across Lev Grossman's website. And he is, of course, the author of the book. So it's levgrossman.com. He talked about the show itself and how it's different from the books. So he says, I'm a huge fan of the show. I get psyched every time they send me a new episode to watch. It's dark, it's smart, it's weird, and it's very funny. It's cool to see the magic on screen. The actors are acting their hearts out. So give it a shot. There's really nothing else like it on TV. I'll be watching too. Very true. So that was fun. It must be cool to have your creation be brought to life on screen. Oh, I can only imagine. We're just going to talk a little bit more about some of the things we missed on season one. We kind of went over that as we were doing the characters and how it relates. Again, unfortunately, we don't have time to break it down episode by episode. But basically, we started off with episode one, Unauthorized Magic, where you kind of are introduced to the world. Quentin and Julia go to take the test. Quentin passes. Julia does not. Now, this is what reminded me of Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe. The way you can go into, as they said it, a very TARDIS-like yeah. telephone booth. Yeah. And you'll be in 
well, in that one, you'd be in Fillory, but also the way Quentin ended up going into brake bills was basically going through the bushes and coming out and it's all colorful and he's in this new world. It went from almost nighttime to daytime. So beautiful. I love that. And with Julia, she was on a elevator. Yeah, that was so cool. And she opens it up and she's a, she sees a sign that says to exam. It was visually really great. You get this amazing introduction to magic when they have Quentin go in to take the second part of his exam. Oh, yeah. And Dean Fogg is pushing him to actually do magic, and he has no idea what he's talking about until he gets him angry enough. That's right. And the cards just fly Oof. out of his hand. Oh. And the Dean, I noticed he looked very, like, in awe, and I was wondering, why is he so in awe? He probably sees this all the time. And we believe it's because that's really powerful magic for a not just first-year student, a person that's not even a student yet. Yeah, they explained it really well that it's like all these years they've had this magic built up inside of them, so you'll get that one really great spurt Mm. when they first contact it, and then they won't be able to do anything like that again for a while until they learn. It's this latent magic. But even then, I suppose that this first performance is not normally that big. Yeah. And I love visuals, the fact that you're introduced to all these beautiful visuals. And again, if you go to that website, not the Break Bills one, the other one, the uh, Sci-Fi Magicians one, Mm -hmm. they give you, it's cooler if you have the uh, virtual reality goggles, whichever kind you have, but uh, just watch it on YouTube anyways. They give you, the actors will walk you through the rooms and explain like in detail the dishes on the wall. Yes. 360-degree tour. Yeah, it's so cool. You're introduced to the other characters at Break Bills University here. Alice and Quentin try to summon her dead brother, Charlie, and the episode ends with accidentally summoning the Beast, which takes you to episode two, The Source of Magic, and that's more about Julia meeting Marina and going on the hedge witch hunt. Episode three, Consequences of Advanced Spellcasting, is where Alice and Quentin learn about what happened to Charlie and him being turned into a Niffin. (laughs) You also see the brief glimpses of Katie's connection to Marina, how she's stealing for her, and Quentin's confrontation with Julia, which was a lot more intense on TV than in the books. In the books, it really was more about the trio of Quentin, Julia, and James. And James was kind of irrelevant on TV. Yeah, you only saw him a few sideline role. It was right. really more about the two of them. But he had always felt like this third wheel, and it was a little more extreme how the two of them, in a way, put him down and made him feel immature and ridiculous for believing in this. In the books? Yes. Okay. And also, his reaction to Julia wasn't as harsh. They, they painted him in a kind of a bad light on the TV show. He really went at her that you don't belong in this right. world. It's my thing, not your thing. Back off and deal with it. Yeah, you're talking about the scene at her party. So it's his first time back in the real world. Yes. And uh, yeah, he's being a little harsh, but if you think about it, she's always been better than him at everything. She's been a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. She excels in everything. And he finally has something. And she's... To him, I guess, falling apart because she can't be as good at one thing, finally. And to him, I guess he had the the feeling like, this is my thing. 
Well, and to him, exactly the point is that for her, it's not even about magic. It's the fact that she can't be good at something because up until two days ago, he was the one who didn't want to let go of Fillory and she was telling him magic and all of this is stupid. You need to get over it. Right. So he was like, it's not that you needed magic two days ago. You didn't believe in that anymore. You just can't stand not being good at something. And I wasn't sure if that exactly came across on TV or if it just looked like he was being an ass to her because that was really a turning point in their relationship. But anyway, Julia continues to go down this line of hedge witchery, if you will. (laughs) And Penny starts discovering his traveling abilities, which takes you to the world in the walls which was the episode with Quentin in the mental hospital, and all of the Julia slash Marina revenge, as well as them breaking into break bills, which was the whole goal so that Marina could get her memories back. Episode five, Mending's Major and Minor, was about Quentin visiting home and finding out his father had been diagnosed with brain cancer and magic couldn't help it. And Penny also learning about the woman who was chained in the dungeon by the beast, which is going to start that whole... Yeah. Journey. reaction. Yeah, journey to try to find her. Episode six, impractical applications is the trials that they go through where they have to, they figure out work together in order to pass these magical tests that are put in front of them. Now this is, you're talking about, this is exams? Yes. Yeah, so they don't really harp on it too much in the show, but in Break Bill's You, you learn that this is where most of first-year classes weeded out. A lot don't graduate to this part. Yes. Well, they don't figure out that they have to work, work together, together in order to solve yeah. it. This is very difficult, and you can't flunk. If you flunk, you're gone. Mm-hmm. There's no second chances. It's very tough school. Yeah, and equally important, meanwhile, in an attempt to steal spells from Marina, Julia teams up with an older hedge witch who has connections to her that we find out is actually Katie's mother, right. and she's killed by Marina. Ugh when they try to break into that safe. Episode seven is the Mayakovsky circumstance, and that's the trip to Break Bill South. So cool. So they all become geese. Yes. And they fly south. I have to say, this was one thing where I actually made you listen to about five minutes of the audiobook Mm -hmm. for this part because you just can't portray it visually on TV. Yeah. The experience that... Lev Grossman describes of them turning into an animal and feeling what it's like to be a bird. His words were very descriptive, very beautiful. I almost felt like a bird. And the fact that after a while actually lost their humanism, if that's the word, (laughs) and uh, they are birds. They forget that they're humans and they act and they feel like birds. And they then go through that experience again once they're there and they're turned into foxes. Mm. And that's when Quentin and Alice sleep together for the first time, if you can call it that, as, as foxes. foxes. Now, I think only Quentin and Alex turned into foxes. No. Am I right? No, they all did? the whole group and actually others wound up sleeping together too. They don't portray this well on TV, but there was a while after that that they were still at Breakbill South. And it wound up being that they figured out to escape the mundanity, the boringness of this place where you're just inside and it's cold and miserable all the time, they could just start sleeping together. And they Hmm. were having like orgies between the students, anything to try to feel and reconnect in that way. And it all culminated in their being given a test that they didn't have to take, 
which was to be put out into the cold, completely naked with no clothes, and have to only use their magic to navigate their way to a certain point on the tundra, whatever you want to call it. Out, mm-hmm. I mean, they're in negative whatever degrees. Yeah. <laughs> it's freezing out there. And they have to survive only using the magic that they've learned there. But they don't have to do it. This is not going to pass or fail them. It's kind of like if they want to set this challenge for themselves. Right. So... Quentin and Alice both decide to do it. And when Quentin makes it to the very end of this harrowing circumstance, they send him back to regular break bills. And he finds out from his friends, him and Alice were the only ones that actually chose to do it. But it was a really great episode nonetheless. The fact that they were turned into foxes, is it just happenstance that Reynard the fox, the evil spirit, is a fox? Yeah, I think it's mostly happenstance because they were turned into a couple of different animals okay. in the book while they were there. And it was just like you said to have that experience. On the show, you also get this episode being where Katie decides to leave. And it sort of ends the relationship between Katie and Penny and they're right. both struggling with that afterwards. So then you go to eight, The Strangled Heart. This is a lot about Elliot's relationship with that guy, Mike. Mm-hmm. who winds up being taken over by the beast and causing a lot of trouble. And that really affects Elliot moving forward. Also the episode where Julia meets Richard for the first time and is introduced to his brand of religious magic. Episode nine was the writing room where they take the trip to the Plover house, which was had a whole different feel to it. I really liked it. It was more like a mystery story. And this is, of course, where they get to the bottom of what oh, yeah, actually yeah. happened to Martin Chatwin. Oh, we learned that it wasn't some great author that made this magical book. It was uh, this man who was abusive sexually and physically mm-hmm. who was using the children to write a book. And it wasn't even good literature, they were saying. He, he was an okay author. Yeah, and then he came to believe them. Over time, and then, of course, wanted to find his own way into Fillory. You also have just the sideline of Julia helping Richard by entering the mind of the paralyzed woman that we talked about. Episode 10, Homecoming, Penny becomes trapped in the Netherlands. In order to help him, Alice and Quentin have to go to her parents' house to ask for help, and you get a glimpse at what Alice's family is like. You get the doppelganger Margot story where Elliot and Margot encounter that golem of her that her ex-boyfriend created in her image, oh, which that's I don't right. really know what that whole yeah, sideline story was about. And Julia and Katie join Richard together on this big project to summon a god. Episode 11 was remedial battle magic where Quentin, Alice, Penny, Elliot, and Margot all have to learn to do battle magic. We kind of talked about that already. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the encounter with having sex with Quentin, Margot, and Elliot, and then Alice winds up sleeping with Penny and all of the it's relationship all the, nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 12, 39 Graves, is the aftermath of what's happened in their relationship problems, but also them all going to the Netherlands, where they find Josh, they learn about what happened to the other class and the girl they've been seeing inside of that dungeon. Quentin talking to Dean Fogg back at Breakbills, learning about Jane creating all of these time loops, and Quentin and Julia going to 
past Fillory and finding their way back into the storyline together. And that leads you to the final episode 13, Have You Brought Me Little Cakes? And that was the (laughs) whole Fillory episode and everything we've talked about, you know, the culmination of them having to fight the beast and learning about Fillory. We can see the Fillory in in all its beauty, and then we see how Fillory is now. It's very Mm -hmm. gray. Everything's dead. It's very sad. But we get the background of Jane, and we also get... The narration by Quentin, which was very cool and very different. I, I enjoyed that. that. And now this is the part in books that I hate where we start from the beginning. To yeah, we catch go you back <laughs> to fill you in. But I loved I it. I love that too. And him writing and you'd get the chapters as he's writing it in the book. Yeah, so cool. And it really linked you back to the book series in a clever way, I thought. Because how else are you going to do that? It's a complicated thing. Yeah to explain and you're going past present fillery and what's happening in the real world. So I thought they handled all of that really well. As you said, Lev Grossman does such a beautiful job of painting this fantasy world with his words and describing all of the magic that you see to the point that you really create a mental image of what it's all going to be like. And so far, the show is doing a pretty good job of having that all come to light. Now, fillery Mm -hmm. is going to be a real challenge because this is where the world itself gets magical and every visual image is going to become important. And I think they're going to need a lot more money in order to do that properly because it's going to have to be grand. So I'm hoping that it's done well enough and they are renewed for this second season, meaning they will have enough of a budget to really portray everything that they're going to have to. Are you serious? The center of all this power is in an outhouse? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was kind of like one of their cheats. And they made light of it when they went to the castle that wasn't there yeah. by saying, oh, they didn't really have the budget to do a castle. And it's just a lot of meta stuff that I thought was clever, but that only works for so long because right. we do need to see a lot of this in season two. But season one, they did great with the magic. Everything didn't look cheesy. I mean, the cards flying in the air and all looked great. Yeah. But I think a lot of that, like we said, was on a smaller scale. And then the sets that they did have to do were fantastic, but a lot more limited. Like a lot of it took place in the physical kid's cottage, which was beautiful, but they could keep going back there. And they could keep going back to that one main classroom Mm -hmm. that they studied in. So um, you're opening the world up a lot by going to Fillory, kind of like they did with the Netherlands. And again, they had to cut corners a little bit there, but it looked great. Yeah. And I was able to follow all of that along. So we'll see how they do with season two. Now, we don't know a lot. We know what the basic premise is going to be. So we know it premieres January 25th, and we see that magic is dying, which is where we left off. Magic was dying. Mm. We have our characters transported to the magical kingdom of Fillory and are named kings and queens of the land. The question is, can they save magic? And of course, we still have that beast to deal with. And we also don't know what happened to the group. We last saw them beaten and battered. Oh, in terrible danger. And <clears throat> so quickly beaten as well. And Julia having disappeared, mm, with trying the knife. to strike a deal with the beast. <laughs> yeah, so. with the knife that can, uh, the only thing that could kill the beast. And what's amazing is she had the power to wield that knife. Yes. So she's going to be on a revenge quest against Reynard the Fox, and she's hoping the Beast can help her with that. And this group of unlikely heroes have been thrust into even more dangerous and unfamiliar territory and must draw upon their novice skills to defeat a threat that could destroy the magic world itself. 
Driven by power, revenge, and survival, they learn that those who enter the hauntingly beautiful world of Fillory will never be the same as those who leave. Mm. And we do know it's going to be another 13 episodes. I was nervous because they are putting out the episode titles piecemeal. So first there was only four episode titles, then there were five, now there's seven. There will in fact be 13. We know a little bit about the first four, the aftermath of the clash with the beast, figuring out a new plan to deal with that. Elliot struggles with being king. Julia and the beast finding an unexpected ally as Quentin and company prepare to face him again. And Quentin and Penny embarking on a quest while Margot works on a way to help Elliot and Julia seeks an old friend's help. Oh, I'm really excited. That sounds great. Plus, I also have my mental canon of what happens in book two, which I'm really hoping gets manifested in a, mm-hmm. in a great way here. And I will, of course, be careful to not give any spoilers that we have not seen on TV thus far. And I will be the one that gives the fantastic theories that sometimes will come true, but most of the time won't. <laughs> yes, that's your job. But that's the fun of it. And as in the past, the Clatters, you guys and ourselves, we take this podcast as a way to hang out with friends and chat about the show and come out with our theories, no matter how crazy or benign they may be. And we see what the resulting answer is at the next episode. It's what's fun. It's what we enjoy about it. So Jason, one of the last things we normally do is to give a rating and a most valuable person. We'll just prep you for that for the season moving forward. Jason and I rate each episode on a scale of 1 to 10. So, of course, we don't have episode by episodes to review, but as a whole, we're going to give our season 1 rating, as well as each episode our most valuable person in here. That'll be MVM, Most Valuable Magician. Magician. So let's start off with our rating. We don't have our scale yet because we haven't decided. If you listened previously, there's always something, again, for the rating. So for Westworld, it was reveries, one to 10 reveries. For Mr. Robot, it was robot. For Sherlock, we let you guys help us pick this out. So we're going to put this out to you for episode one. If you have a word that we can use for our ratings, that would be great. If we find a good one, we will use it. Otherwise, we'll come up with something. So one to 10, what do you give season one of The Magicians? I'm going to give it a nine. It was great. I love the magic. I love being able to escape into a world that does not exist in real life and and enjoying it. Mm. I love magic. I think I'm going to have to agree with you and give it a nine. I probably would have went lower, say an 8.5, if I was only rating on the TV show and had no knowledge of anything else related to The Magicians. But the funny thing is that I did not discover the TV show. You mm-hmm. came to me and said, hey, there's this really cool new show that I want you to check out. You didn't tell me anything about it, including yeah. the name. We were bored. I was looking on Netflix. You just said, let's give this a try, and you put on the first episode. So I knew nothing about it. About five minutes into it, I started to go, oh, my God, this feels really familiar. Where do I know this storyline from? I know these character names. I finally put it together. It was the book series because it's been years yeah. since I read them. It was very serendipitous. And it was exciting to see you get all excited. Like, oh, I love these books. This is books I was trying to tell you to read. Oh, it got me so pumped for it. It was so great that we binged the whole series in about two days. And then I found all this additional stuff online. So that really brought the level of the whole experience up a couple of notches for me to a nine. But if I think back to the books, it was the same way. 
book one, I was at like a nine. And mm-hmm. then by the end of book one and into book two, I got even more excited because there was more magical stuff going on. So if they handle it well, I foresee myself only going up from here with season two. Okay. And your MVM, your most valuable magician for season one. Oh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm catching you off guard. I'm going to go with Penny. I hate you. You You're do gonna this say the same every thing? single time. I got to stop letting you go first. <laughs> I swear to you fans, because this is going to sound like bullshit the amount of times it happens. We do not know. In fact, Jason just pulled this out of his ass. I did. But we think the same. That's why we do well on a podcast. <laughs> Good. Tell me why. Well, I think he was the catalyst to moving the storyline forward and moving the group forward into figuring out how to get the beast. And uh, without his powers, even in episode one, when they conjured a spell that brought the beast in, he was the one that knew, that heard the voices that made him join them in the classroom late at night with Katie, Hmm. which brought them all together. And he's the most powerful of all of them at this point. He keeps them all together. I mean, if it was up to Elliot, they would have all just been partying and, and forgotten about this. If it was up to Quentin, I think he would have gotten overwhelmed mm-hmm. more easily. And all the other ones are kind of lost souls that are being cultivated and created uh, through these trials and tribulations. So I think it's Penny. I agree wholeheartedly when I was thinking about this. They changed a lot from book to TV that I did not like, but Penny was one transformation that I absolutely loved. I was not that fond of his character in the books. He was hard to like. You knew he was playing an important role, but you couldn't quite get behind it. Whereas here, you start out with Penny being difficult to like, but for different reasons on the TV show. He's rough. He's abrasive. He does not let anybody get close to him. He's almost whiny at a certain point Mm -hmm. because everything is just like life sucks and woe is me. He finally wakes up at some point that he has these skills There is a purpose. He's got to use them. And when the whole rest of the group is falling apart, that's when he steps up. He starts learning battle magic. He tells them, you guys all got to put your relationship stuff out of the way. This is more important. Mm -hmm. He helps get them to Fillory and keep them moving. And like you said, discovers that his magic is very strong. And I think he's going to play a more important role in the future. Plus, he does bring some of that comic relief. Surprisingly, they rolled that all into one character. I think they did very well with it. What's your favorite place? And I don't mean saying Fillory. I mean small places. What's your favorite? I have a guess what it would be. I don't know. That's a difficult question because I know there's going to be so many places that they visit within. Yeah. Well, so far. Fillory in season two. So, yeah, I can't give you like my overall favorite Mm -hmm. yet until we get there. But from season one. Let me guess. Let's see if this is it. The library, the magic library. In the Netherlands? Yeah. Yeah, well, they portrayed it, though, as kind of not really looking very cool. There was so much fun stuff happening there in the books. Oh, okay. It was just kind of like a... That's what I mean. There's certain things that they really had to scale down on. One of the most beautiful parts of the book was actually seeing the Netherlands, those fountains and the things that led to them. And again, just wasn't like totally depicted right here. Okay, so kind of... But yeah, that probably would have been it from the books. You love books. There's people's whole stories, whole lives in there. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It was an awesome thought. A magic library. My favorite is probably the dorm house. 
I just think that's a cool the physical place. kids cottage. Yeah. They did a great job with that visually. Okay, so before we leave you, let's just kind of prep you real quick on where our characters are in season two. So now we know that they're in, a lot of them are in Fillory. Mm-hmm. So they all have different roles and positions. So we have... Yeah, before you get into the roles sure. and positions, they briefly flew over the fact that Josh and the one he saved from the dungeon, I forget her name, I think it was Anais in the right. books, they bounced on everybody they right before they went into this big challenge. They were like, oh, you're all doomed. Sorry, yeah. we're out of here. So we Nice assume- letter. Thanks for saving me. You're all doomed. Peace out. <laughs> we assumed they went back to break bills and earth, right. so just to account for those two. Assholes. <laughs> so we have the council, which is the people that help the monarchy. Which you don't know about yet on the TV show, but that's going to be a central theme introduced early on, so it's not really spoiling. No, it's on the website. That's the only way I know. Mm-hmm. It's welcome to com. So we have Fen, who the High King Elliot married, but she's not. she's of that world, so she can't be queen. Right, so she is the daughter of the man who made that special knife for them, the blade, and you saw that he had to marry her at the end of season one. You, She's daughter of the man's whose father made the right, blade. Right, yeah. right, sorry, it gets a little bit complicated. Yeah. Um, and, but you find out that the reason that the father wanted that was so that it would ensure her a place there. Mm-hmm. Because there has been this thing called the council, which has been in existence forever and helps to rule with the monarchy, supports the monarchy to rule. So it's like in regular countries where they have a king and a queen, but then they also have other people that are assisting in the rule, like a parliament or what have you. And there's also been one family who has been on the council for a long time. So I assume getting on the high council is sort of difficult. And I have a feeling that the High Council, they have been in control since there hasn't been humans mm-hmm. around for a while. And you know when you get power, I'm sure you don't want to give it back. So I wonder if they're going to be bad guys. Yeah, they've kind of been like um, leaders by default without the kings and queens of Fillory for a while now. So I wonder how much help they'll be. Of course, this is completely ignorant. I might be way off. But let's talk about the monarchy. So we have... Quentin Coldwater. So he is a king. He's not the high king, but he's a king. Right, still a king. Then, of course, the high king, Elliot. Elliot. And then we have Queen Alice Quinn Mm -hmm. and Queen Margot Hansen. Mm -hmm. And then we have our allies who are back on Earth. And I didn't know this. We have Katie. Well, yeah, because she hadn't come with them for this whole thing. that's right. Okay. Penny. So I guess he had to go back. Whereabouts unknown right now. Yeah, we'll yeah. see. Julia Wicker. We saw we her last know. with the Beast, so we don't really know what's going oh, yeah, on Yeah, we her. don't know if she's an ally. On the website, she is. And, we, of course, we got our man Dean Henry Fogg. Mm-hmm. Back at break bills. So I'm really excited and interested to see where this goes. Yeah, there's one last thing to mention as we were doing our research in connection <laughs> with the whole world of the magicians. They have something called the Hall of Magic. And you can look it up online. It's an actual experience in RL, real life. Uh, It's a multi-room experience that they describe as a social media utopia featuring visually stunning and interactive installations where you can take and share photos, videos, and just experience magic all around you. 
It's a free experience, but you have to reserve a ticket online in order to guarantee entry. So we didn't know about this until recently. I wish we would have gone. It's only up a little bit longer. But if you're interested in that, go check it out online and maybe you'd like to go and experience it. Yep. It's in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It seems cool. I wish we could go. If any of you happen to do that, please share the photos, write a little email, tell us what it was like. We'd love to be able to share that with our Clatchers. Also remember, we are looking for that name for our rating. So if you want to put something out there, the one we like, we will keep that for season two. Or if you'd like to give us your season one rating or MVM, Most Valuable Magician, feel free to write in. You can write in at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com or the contact form on our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at CKC Podcast, Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Stay in the loop. Be part of the Clatcher community. And we'll be back next week to review episode one, Night of Crowns. Until then, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.